0: Welcome to Uplifting Women podcast. This podcast is sponsored by UpliftingWomen.net, as well as Holly Teska Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Join our co-hosts, Holly Teska and Kristen Strunk, thought partners in the world of leadership, equality, and personal and professional development. Listen as they bring stories of inspirational women and their allies who are working every day for authentic leadership, equality, and inclusion in business, education, and community. These are the stories of the people whose mission it is to ensure others are seen, heard, and respected. They have overcome challenges in the workplace and the world or supported other women in doing so. Holly and Kristen are committed to uplifting women's voices, sharing inspiration, advice, and maybe even a few laughs from women and their allies about the work they are doing to promote inclusion and equality in our world. They believe that by sharing stories of challenge and triumph, we can all make the world a better place as we inspire others to step fully into their personal leadership space. We are so happy you have joined us today for our conversation.
1: Welcome to Uplifting Women Podcast. This is Holly Tesca. I'm here with my co host, Kristen Strunk, and today's guest is Deborah Shames. Deborah is a co founder of Eloquy with her partner, David Booth. She was an award-winning film and television director. She founded the only female-owned production company in the San Francisco Bay Area, Focal Point Productions, which she ran for 15 years. Deborah has directed luminaries, including Wendy Malick, Rita Moreno, Danny Glover, and Angela Lansbury. Oh my goodness. Today, Deborah coaches female executives on presentation and communication skills. She preps authors, CEOs, and executives before media tours and works with celebrity and on air talent at major television studios. Deborah is frequently engaged prior to national sales meetings or product launches as a keynote speaker or coach and for leadership development training. Deborah received a Consultant of the Year award by the San Fernando Valley Business Journal. When not working, Deborah travels does photography, hikes in the mountains, and makes jewelry. Deborah and her partner, David, wrote Own the Room, business presentations that persuade, engage, and get results. That was published by McGraw-Hill and is now in its third printing. It's considered a business bestseller. And Deborah's latest book is for women professionals out front, how women can become engaging, memorable, and fearless speakers and it was published by Ben Bella Books. So, Deborah, we are thrilled to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining, Kristen, and me. And uh, we're so excited to hear all about your story. You know, you've got a really successful career and you're helping women um, to raise their voices. How did how did you do it all? How did you tell? take us back to the beginning? <laughs>
2: I was born a child. No. Uh, <laughs> one of the job experiences I had was as a producer at WTTW TV in Chicago, the public television station. Mm-hmm. And in my mid 20s, I was advanced to a producer position, which means when you go out in the field, you produce and direct segments. And I came back so pleased because it was around high school students finding their voice and what their stories were. We were on the Papago reservation. We were in the on the Chicago south side. And what was interesting to me when we came back and started editing was that the cameraman took credit for what I did, my directing and my producing. Hmm. And that was back quite a number of years ago. I don't think it's changed that much. But what that taught me is resilience and that it's not about being liked. It's about having my own standards, knowing what I did and being able to speak out and advance without letting somebody else hold me back. Wow. Wow.
1: So you don't think it's changed a lot, huh? The work that you're doing is still be, would still be, uh, would still be uh, grabbed by the camera guy as his Mm -hmm. credit? Do you think that would happen today?
2: Not as much, but I can't tell you how many successful professional women that I coach and train who say, I got passed over for a promotion because a guy in the department would speak out and knew so much less than I did, had so much less experience, But his confidence and his connections allowed him to get the job, and I haven't. And that's both the responsibility of men and women, because women also hold ourselves back. What I've learned over the years is that women believe if they're not an expert, they don't deserve to speak on a topic. They'll tell me they weren't born a great speaker. Well, guess what? No executive I've ever coached was born a great speaker. They'll tell me that they don't want to rock the boat or that they want to observe and watch before they participate. So that's on our shoulders. That's why I like to give women tools, techniques, and safety nets. And then you need to start in low anti environments so that you too can be successful.
3: I have been in conversations where we're talking about talent and potential and this idea comes up about professional presence or commanding a room, talk about it so much differently when we're talking about women and we're talking about men. And I have recently, I've started to call leaders out on it when we're having these conversations and saying, time out. You describe this behavior for him, you describe the exact same behavior for her, and you just rated them completely differently. So it's, it's interesting to me that we are so focused on what women can bring to the table in order to be viewed as professional or executive material when part of what we do need to change is the perception of what those things are, not necessarily women's job in getting to be more like men
2: so what you're talking about Kristen, is for example i was i led a business group one of the most popular ones in la and the the two founders of the group one of them called me a brazen hussy and what i realized is exactly what you're saying they treated me differently and So what I've done is give, especially the women that won't speak out, Holly, I give them roles like seasoned veteran, because if you're sending in the seasoned veteran, as opposed to Kristen or Holly, you will not be as afraid to speak from your experience and be colorful and tell stories. And I've even had high school students. I asked uh, for a volunteer to be a seasoned veteran at 16 years old. And I'll never forget this one young woman spoke up and she said, OK, I'll be your volunteer. I said, what do you know a lot about? And she said the TV show Glee. Mm-hmm. And she did about two to three minutes as a seasoned veteran about the show Glee, how it addressed issues and problems that they w- were dealing with as teenagers, everything from pregnancy to getting into college. And as the seasoned veteran, she had no fear. She received applause from everyone else on the Zoom session, and I knew I had them. And if I can start women out in high school or college with these tools, there's no stopping what they can do. That's, fa- that's fantastic. So, you know, tell us a little bit about
1: what are some of the things that maybe you've done, learned personally and incorporated, and how you teach um, aspiring women leaders to come out and uh, raise their voices in a new way.
2: Well, first of all, no one learns by being lectured at. Winston Churchill said, I love to learn, but I hate being taught. So the only way that men, but especially women, can learn to be better speakers and communicators is to have interactive sessions where they are forced to speak up without the prep that every woman tells me she needs. She goes... Oh, I can't stand up and give an opening. I need need hours to prep or days to prep. But it's amazing how when you speak all the time and you don't have the preparation time you thought you needed, how well you can do. Because as women, we need structure. We need safety nets. And we need permission to be ourselves, not to copy anybody else. Don't tell a joke. Don't gesture a certain way. Don't do tell them, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them again. All those techniques are from the 1950s and don't apply in today's world where the most important thing you can demonstrate is authenticity and your voice.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that, Deborah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that permission to be ourselves is so important
2: one of the things we we wrote in our book that the editor you know, in Own the Room used as a call out this big was if you educate people, you get them to think. If you persuade them, you get them to act. Women believe it's their job to educate an audience. It isn't. It never is. And so when someone has an interview coming up for a job or with the media, the first thing I'll say is, what is your intention? For example, do you want to prove that your services are critical to the company's success? Do you want to get a second meeting? And then I say, keep it doable. Have only three points that you will you will express no matter what's asked of you. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. And I also
1: love your mention of set an intention. Yes. So many people go into a meeting or a business conversation or a presentation without having a clear, a clearly defined outcome? What do you want out of this interaction? Yes. Yes.
2: Two things about intention. CEOs and presidents, when I bring up the concept of intention, like Dennis Tito, he said, you don't have to cover intention with me. Do you think I ever go into a meeting and not know what my intention is? And every president and CEO I've ever coached or trained will say the same thing. So women, why not take that on early? And what I say to women, before you have to stand up and speak, or you go into an important meeting, review your intention, not your content. It's too late then. And when you review your content, what happens is you go, okay, I'm gonna cover this, this. What am I gonna cover third? I just forgot. Oh, my God, what if I forget in the meeting? But intention, you walk in and we can tell if you're intentional. And that's the most important thing. Yeah,
1: I agree. I completely agree because the rest
2: flows naturally. Yes. And you can change it up. You see, I tell women, don't ever write out, read, or memorize your content. Because if you forget one word, you are tanked. But if you work off an outline and you have three things, because we only remember three as lists, as humans, and it's true from uh, our religion, our nursery rhymes, it's always about three, unless you're Native American, then it's four. So if you do three items that are your strengths or in a meeting that you wanna make sure to cover, you can remember them. And if you still have trouble, make it into a mnemonic. So I'm gonna cover negotiation, assessment, and managing anxiety, NAM, okay, that I can remember. So we need safety nets like that. And that's why I love coaching women. So they have those safety nets. That's awesome.
1: When I first came up with this idea, it was sort of around, I'm so tired of women just casually taking a back seat and being okay with it. You know, women... You're not the only one. Women make up half of the population they are not respected equally they don't make the same incomes they have to fight for things in a different way and are judged for it and you know I was just I was just tired of it you know I see so many amazing women that are not being capitalized fully right to the whatever extent they want. I don't care what you want to do in the Exactly. World. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Exactly. But do you That's feel why confident?
2: I it took me nine years, but I was gonna publish and get that book out no matter what. And the subheading of how women can become engaging, memorable, and fearless speakers is the key. Because like you, I've worked with so many talented women who have the imposter syndrome, who are from another culture and don't believe it's their right to speak out or believe that people either born a great speaker or not. I mean, I could go on and on. And what I wanted to do is give women tools, because when we have tools and we have permission to be ourselves, we can do anything.
3: Deborah, what's really interesting to me is the conversation around specifically focusing on women and how they present themselves in the workplace mainly and the comparison that they most of the time face to men. Well, you know, so-and-so isn't exactly displaying these types of what are usually described as masculine behaviors. What is the guidance around bringing your authentic self but yet also conforming to your organization's norms and doing that in a male-dominated environment and being seen as professional, but also being true to who you are?
2: It breaks down to confidence. If you display confidence, if you, okay, these are the things that women do that hold themselves back. They will apologize. Oh, I'm not prepared enough or whatever it is, that's one thing. If they go in long run-on sentences, they can't keep track of what they wanted to say and neither can the audience. So one of the things I'll say is speak in short sentences that end with a downward inflection. That says you are confident, even if you're not feeling it on the inside. Millennials will often do an upward inflection. So this is what it sounds like. I grew up in Chicago. I went to the University of Wisconsin. I studied anthropology. How can you have confidence in somebody's perspective or opinion when they're always asking a question or the other thing it sounds like is a series of commas? The flip side is I grew up in Chicago. I went to the University of Wisconsin. I studied anthropology. Right away, my impression of you Is positive positive and confident. And by the way, the way you deliver content is worth three to four times the actual words. So if you come in demonstrating and displaying confidence, you've got most of the battle won. I
1: love that. And you're absolutely right. Ending the statement that way, it, it sounds demonstrative, like I'm an authority on this. That's right. That's right. Even if
2: you're not feeling it on the inside. Exactly. Make it till you make it. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's so many other things women can do. They can get a male coach or mentor. There are so many really fabulous female mentors coming up now. You are or were in the HR field. And Noma Bruton, Evelyn Lee, I've coached women who keep moving up. And one of the things they love to do is give back. And when they give advice and mentorship to young women, it means everything because it's not a direct upward project, projector, projection. We always go up and down in our careers and we need that support, which is why I wrote the book out front, which is why I donate my time to high schools and colleges with large female populations. Because I want women to know they can call on me and there are women out there to support their advancement. Because there are. That's amazing. You know, another thing
1: I try to coach women on, Deborah, and I'm, I'm going to guess that you do as well, is to remove the words just, but, and sorry oh. from their voc- vocabulary. You don't those... need to just do anything. Just
2: Holly, those are called discourse particles. Just like, you know, and they're filler words because people, men and women, are afraid to include the pause. And in truth, the pause not only lets the speaker think on their feet, it allows the audience to absorb it. So if you want to get rid of the filler because you're not hearing it, there's an exercise that I can show you and your listeners very easily. Okay, so let uh, you want to get rid of just What I would say is, Holly, tell me where you grew up, what you studied, and put just after every word or every other word until it's so annoying that you can't stand it. And the method in my madness is that the next time you start to say just, you'll hear it. And after two or three times, you'll put the pause in where you used to put in a filler word.
1: That's a really good advice. I love that exercise, Deborah. I'm going to try that. Mm-hmm. I have tried really hard over the years to take those words out because I, like you, feel that the pause is so much more important. Those brief pauses allow people to actually comprehend what
2: you're saying yes. and think. Here's some ways to be memorable from cognitive science. Speak in visual snapshots. When we're listening to you, if you give us something visual, we play the movie in our heads and we track and follow with you. If you go general to be polite and say things like, well, there's an opportunity here, or I love my job, it's so general that we start to zone out and check our phones or wish that you would just finish. So. Visual snapshots or specifics. Authenticity. Again, you were taught to say we, but women need to take credit. Now it's not self-aggrandizing. When a woman says, I've observed, I'm appreciative, my perspective is, that's how she can persuade us to her point of view. And the third is novelty and surprise. If you speak like everyone else, we lump you with everyone else. So I always say, dive off a cliff when you open. Don't do good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here, which is what they used to do at Mattel. And they probably do it lots of other companies. In fact, at the Olympics, they're all super excited or they're amazed. <laughs> be specific, be novel and surprising and add yourself into it. Those three simple steps are not so simple, but then you're on your way to be memorable.
3: I love the concept of memorability and this um, thought around being authentic is something that I want to spend maybe just a little bit more time digging into. Yes. How do you describe authenticity in a professional or a work setting and what are the ways that women specifically demonstrate that authenticity?
2: Or don't demonstrate
3: it. Or don't demonstrate it. OK.
2: Women believe that they need to be polished and perfect in order to be taken seriously. Years ago, I coached a woman executive, Johnson & Johnson. She, this was, she was about to give a very important speech. She hired a speechwriter. She practiced like crazy. Afterward, she said to herself, I nailed it. Her boss, a male, got up and she goes, she told me he was winging it. He got a 94, she got an 88. Why? She wasn't authentic. She was trying too hard to be polished and perfect. And so the audience didn't believe her. I coach women to be conversational, intentional, conversational. And with that confidence, that's so important, but don't ever strive to be polished and perfect. I like to say everything you learned about public speaking is wrong. And by the way, if you absorb these, these techniques and you go speak at a networking meeting with 50 people all go standing up and saying, My name is Deborah Shames, my company's Eloquy, and we deliver these services to our clients. Oh my God. I- <laughs> It's like a, a, a bear caught in a trap. I'd rather cut off my paw than sit through the other 49 introductions. So that confidence is why we say take on a role, motivator, seasoned veteran, visionary. Because when you take on a role, you're not sending Kristen in who still has anxiety. You're sending in someone who's been there, done that. And role is both language and behavior. I learned this lesson the hard way in, my, in the nineties, I produced erotic films for women and couples. We're not talking porn, even though many people in the US thought it was. And I was on talk shows all across the country and they would tell me how I ruined their marriage or all these, because you know, if it, leads, if it bleeds, it leads. They were trying so hard to put me in a category of the lowest common denominator. That taught me to find my voice and stand up for what I knew to be right. That women look at erotica differently than men. That women want certain things that I was providing in my films of Cabin Fever and The Voyeur and The Hottest Bid. But at first it was awful. I couldn't believe the criticism. I couldn't believe the camera and production resources that cut off all contact with me. My big, my, I was in the big brothers, big sisters. They took away my little sister. And so I learned, one, I couldn't please anyone. Two, I knew that I'd done something that I felt really good about. It's like in the Olympics right now. You do what's true to you. That's what authenticity means to me.
1: And I love this, you know, don't worry about being polished and perfect. I think that's so true. Sometimes I'm off put by the person that's so polished. Every yes. hair, every single hair is in place. with a And beautiful- they're
2: memorized, yes. right? They're memorized. You can tell they've given this talk a hundred times before. They're not in the moment. But somebody who's authentic and has a quirky sense of humor and speaks conversationally, we are immediately attracted to them. And we go, how did they get there? I couldn't do that. It's easier than that's easier than taking on a role that doesn't fit us. Right. Exactly. You know,
1: so again, you are underscoring a message that we received from one of our previous guests about being true to yourself. Yes. You know, um, showing up as the authentic you demonstrating what you know to be, your area of expertise. I mean, we are the experts of our own lives. If we are sharing, if we're sharing stories about ourselves and the way we've experienced things, nobody can argue with you what your personal experience was.
2: I have another tip for women along those lines. I'm Jewish, which means the glass is always half empty as opposed to half full. And when I do one, when I have one flub or one thing in a a presentation that I believe, this is the old days, that I didn't do well, that's all I used to focus on. And my partner, David, taught me that because he's been in the theater and you're on stage six, eight times a week, you are not going to have the same response from an audience. You are not going to do well every single time. He said to me, Deborah, focus on your success, not your failure. Because when you have a, a presentation that the client, the audience, or you yourself say, I did well, instead of negating that, focus on it.
1: So, Deborah, I have to ask you, these days, do you see the glass half full more
2: often than half empty? Yes and no. I still, Holly and Kristen, the night before I have a big presentation, I, re- I barely sleep. There's, and, and it's not like I don't know what I'm going to say, but there's always something that says, what if you forget this or da-da-da, but I do it anyway. And so I tell women that have anxiety, it may never leave, but do it anyway. Because if you lose all anxiety, it means that it isn't important to you. If you have some, it means your synapses are firing. You're in the moment, you're ready to be on the ice. And one of the things I can tell women before they get up where a meeting is really important or a pitch or a keynote, say to yourself, they need what I have to deliver. There's nothing better. Then the focus is not on you and that little critical voice in your head that talks and chats away all the time. You're putting the focus where it deserves out on the audience.
1: Thank you so much for sharing just a plethora of ideas, information. You truly are uplifting women in the world and in the workplace. This was just a really good interview. Thank you so very. Don't very sound much. so surprised. No, I'm <laughs> Thank not you, surprised. Molly. I'm just. I'm really grateful. Because this is exactly what women who are afraid to step into everything they can be need to hear. They need to hear from women who are perceived as successful to know the struggles that we, too, share. And it's not as easy as it looks. Right. (laughs) There's a lot that goes into it. And you're just another great
2: example of we can do this. Yes, We can do this. And any woman that wants to contact me and get a boost of confidence, I'm there for her. So I hope you share my contact information.
1: Absolutely. All of that will be included in the show notes along with um, the titles of your book and your website. Um, We do encourage our listeners to reach out if you have questions or you want to work with Deborah. Or if you know, I know that you have a passion around doing this inside the education system. So if you know of a school that has a, yes. uh, a big population of women students, uh, Deborah would love to hear from you as well. So thank you for spending a little bit of your day with us, Deborah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> We're throwing kisses back at you as yes. well. This has been a wonderful, a wonderful interview. And uh, I'm just smiling ear to ear. So thank you. Thank
0: you. Thank you so much for listening in on this latest episode of Uplifting Women podcast. Holly and Kristen appreciate your dedication to uplifting women and look forward to you joining them again soon. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net as well as Holly Teska Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Please visit your favorite platform where you found this podcast to leave a review. If you are an uplifting woman or a man who champions women's success with a story to share, Kristen and Holly would love to talk to you please visit upliftingwomen.net and leave us a message.